Welcome to Writing Black Joy Season 2. I am Sophia Robinson, and I'm a writing coach and an editor and a story listener, as well as the producer of Writing Black Joy, a virtual space that celebrates, centers, and promotes the voices of Black writers and storytellers with joyful and uplifting stories. Here, you'll find conversations with some of my favorite Black writers and storytellers, learn more about their projects and the joy they're bringing into the world, hear more about their creative process, and find inspiration for your own creative ventures, as well as tips and strategies for writing poetry, blogs, creative nonfiction, fiction, plays, and so much more from all types of writers, as well as a sneak peek into the writing life. You can even find your next favorite writer, book, poem, play, or blog. And if you are a Black writer who is looking for a coach or an editor to help you bring your joyful story into the world, then click on my website below to find out how to work with me. In the meantime, let's go to today's guest. My guest today is Alicia Chantal, and she is the owner of Fresh Look Editing based in Canada. She writes and edits nonfiction, and she's also a wife and a mom to three boys. One thing that Alicia and I discussed were the different ways and backgrounds that folks who come to writing and editing have. One of the reasons that I have shared editors and literary agent on the show this season is because I wanted to show you a few of the folks who support writers on their journey. Writing is often thought of as a lonely journey, but the reality is you can make so many connections as a writer with other professionals who are there to help you polish your work, help you get visible and share it with the world. So I hope you find this conversation helpful. In addition, Alicia shared very openly, which I really appreciate. And she and I talked about healthcare and the importance of having a writer and an editor to break down the jargon and increase the understanding that people have about their own health, the importance of surrounding yourself with people who champion your ideas, the conversations that she and her families have had and some of her experiences raising biracial children, the collaborative nature of editing, understanding the editorial style of a publication when you are submitting your work to them, different avenues for using your skills as a writer, the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, inclusive language and the alive nature of language, Frozen versus Encanto, and so much more. So you can see who we went all around the world with this one, and I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Hey everyone, welcome back to Writing Black Joy. I'm Sophia Robinson and I'm your host. And if you've wandered on here and you've missed a lot of episodes, what are you doing? Go back and catch up. And then, or you can watch this one first. Totally your choice, but this is a show that centers and celebrates Black writers with joyful and uplifting stories. And sometimes I have people who substantively do more than writing maybe they're an editor maybe they're a you know a literary agent I've had a few of those on and today I'm happy to have another one of my my peeps my editor peeps on here um and I'm gonna tell you a little bit about her today we have with us Alicia Chantel and she's actually the owner of Fresh Look Editing based in Edmonton Alberta so you can't tell right now but it's probably a bit cold outside up there Uh, And she specializes in nonfiction, copy editing, proofreading, and writing. And she's passionate about helping writers create messages that educate and empower. 
Alicia was a member of Editors Canada's Equity, Diversity and Inclusion Task Force and also served as a co-coordinator of her local chapter. When she's not at her desk, she can be found spending time with her husband and her three boys reading or watching a good show or dreaming about being in Barbados, which I keep yes. trying to entice them to. <laughs> they have a little, a little Bajan roots and I'm trying to tell them, come back to your roots, come back to us. I'm going to get her here one day. Uh, <laughs> until then, we Zoom, we chat editor style and today we are doing just that. So welcome, Alicia. Thank you, Sophia. It's nice to be here. Yay, I'm glad to have you. So I'd love you to tell us a bit about your work as an editor. I know you have a also, you know, do some writing, so we can talk a bit about that as well. But first of all, tell us a bit about your work as an editor. Well, so um, I have, uh, my background is in public relations, actually in communication. So editing has always been, you know, kind of the thing I've loved most about that part, I love being behind the scenes of things. I had wanted to be a journalist at some point um, in my life and then decided that, you know, kind of the behind the scenes, the work that nobody knows what you're up to, <laughs> that kind of yeah. thing. I like being I like being behind the camera, so to speak, instead of in front of it. So um, I've worked for um, like arm's length governmental agencies before, and I really appreciate doing the corporate communication side of things. I did a lot of internal work. Um, with the organization I was with. And so a lot of that kind of passion has translated into what I like to do for editing now, which is, as you said, off the top, um, primarily nonfiction. Um, I like working with small businesses, um, with large organizations, individual authors. Um, and I do enjoy, I mean, I'm open to all kinds of different editing, but uh, healthcare and education are my two my two big loves. So anything, even if it's tangentially related to that, um, those are the areas I really love delving into as an editor, for sure. Okay, I love that. And um, what is it that you are drawn to about healthcare and education? I, I've worked in healthcare for many, many years. So um, I, uh, it's, it's like my second home. I'm curious mm -hmm. what draws you to that sort of field, healthcare and education? Well, I was born into it. <laughs> My parents were both uh, registered nurses. Mm. And um, so I've always lived in a household where, you know, healthcare was obviously a very prominent part of my life. Um, I had, you know, aunts, uncles, cousins, all kinds of people in my family that are in the healthcare field. And so even though I myself was not cut out to be a nurse, <laughs> I love being a Right. It's a lot. And I, um, I, I think I was always better able to serve as being able to get those messages of healthcare out there. So regardless of what it is, like, I think um, healthcare and education, in my opinion, are the two, two of the biggest, um, if you want to call them issues or, or um, two of the biggest things in our society. Um, I really do believe that. And I think it is important to be able to get people good messages about it, to be able to spread the word about it, to empower people to um, how they can go about accessing um, these things and advocating for themselves mm. um, and for others, uh, especially now. I think it's it's so important to have a well 
educated population. Yeah. And, uh, and anything I can do to help that is really, is really, uh, really important to me. Yeah. And I really like that because I think healthcare can be, I I've always felt even as somebody who works in healthcare, I've always felt there's this big divide between what, you, what healthcare professionals sort of say and what people understand, mm-hmm. um, you know, aside from the jargon and everything else, it's just this sort of, there's just a sort of gap. Um, and I think that doesn't do much for people actually being able to take control of their own health because they're, they're kind of, you know, there's just this, you know, a part of it may be the power dynamic, you know, a part of it may just be the jargon, like I said, but there's just this gap between what is said and what is understood. And it's good to have sort of, you know, someone like yourself who has that real communication background to kind of bridge that gap. So I love that you're finding that important, I should say. Yeah. So yeah, perfect. And what do you write? Do you write similar uh, work as well? Um, so my writing is a little bit well, you could say that because one of my clients, I um, I do blog writing for a local dental clinic. So, I mean, that's obviously a big part of healthcare, even though people don't always immediately think of that <laughs> as part of healthcare, but your teeth are part of your health <laughs> and uh, a lot more central to your health than people, than people think. Um, and so I do that professionally. I also have done some work with policy writing for another local small business that is in the education field. And uh, I've really enjoyed doing that because again, it's kind of a, it's not corporate because it's a small business per se, but it's, you know, it's still something where their aim is they're a field trip company actually. And so their aim is to get, yeah. So their aim is to, you know, bring education to kids in K to six. So that's a, a big, a big deal for me too. I do a lot of, like, I am not a, like a, I don't write personally for myself. Like I'm not, mm. you know, like I'm writing a, a, working on a novel or anything like that. Any of my personal writing is, is actually very personal. So I do a lot of journaling. Mm-hmm. I have written some poetry. Um, but again, I, I don't think of myself as a poet <laughs> or you're not going to see my name on a book as the author anytime soon, I wouldn't think. Um, mm, never say never. Well, that's true. Never say never. You are correct. Um, let's say I don't foresee that in the in the near future. But like you say, you never know. And uh, and so that's kind of for me, a lot of my writing is, you know, as I say, it's, clients, it's, yeah. it's personal for me and yeah, and the clients that I have, if I can advise them on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I, <laughs> I know a lot of people watching this probably, and apart from my friends, probably have no idea that I am actually a dentist. <laughs> Are you? Okay. <laughs> See? Revelations. Yeah. That is, I always like, I have a, a really close friend who I went to dental school with and she's always like, we're writers uh, and dentistry is our side hustle, even though we've been doing it for over 20 years. But uh, hey. I never tell anybody. I, I always remember uh, there's a, <clears throat> a client that I had a couple of years ago uh, and she got braces and I'm, she was asking for some advice and I gave I made a comment and she was like, okay. And then the next time we got on a call, I said to her, you know that I'm a dentist, right? And she was like, oh my God, I never knew. And I was like, you know, it occurs to me. I never actually talk about it. Something that almost like obviously I I have patients, I have clients, I have friends. Most people know what like in the sort of the editing, writing space, 
I, people don't even know. <laughs> so when you said that, it suddenly occurred to me, I was like, hmm, <laughs> I don't no. think we've ever had that conversation, but that's, you my, see? that's my secret day job. Well, but you yeah. see, that goes to show, right? Editors and writers are people of many talents. Mm-hmm, they are. And that's what I kind of love about it, because I think, you know, there are some people who, you know, even the ones who go in and become journalists or go to university and are, you know, quote unquote professional writers, you all have your background. Your ex- like you talked about having a background from your parents, you know, being in healthcare. Um, you all have your influences. You have the things that your your curiosities and your hobbies and the things that you're interested in. And sometimes I feel like those people make the best writers and the best editors because they they're kind of passionate about the thing and it's not just like words on a page Mm -hmm. I think it's great to have your background and your you know the different things that you sort of bring to the table that aren't just the skill set it like it just to me makes for a more diverse experience so yeah I I agree it enhances it right like I feel that I don't think I've met any editor or writer yet since I've you know been strictly professional in this field that um or professional in this particular field that didn't have a background somewhere else before coming it wasn't like you know they graduated from high school and you know went to editing school and became an editor it was Mm. like you say they came from a different path somewhere so it's fascinating yeah fascinating it is and I think there are some people especially now like uh, when I've been doing editing courses I had meet like younger people who really did kind of like leave school and they hadn't maybe they, you know, they were kind of like younger and they go on to become an editor. And also the advice then is to like, make sure you're really widely read because the thing about it is it's very hard to edit without context, I think. And so mm-hmm. if you're not somebody who's, you know, that's like, I was talking to um, another client the other day about editing fiction and I'm like, I don't really edit fiction unless it's something that I would read a lot of, because don't ask me to edit like a, a YA novel or whatever. Like I can't tell you the last time I read one, it doesn't make any sense me trying to edit it because I don't have that experience, not even in reading it. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, if you're, if you are thinking, oh, I'm going to just leave school and become an editor, like make sure you're really widely read, mm-hmm. you know, and, and make sure you, and have interests, you know, like I said, have something yeah. you're interested in that will really help towards that. So 100%. yeah, I absolutely love that. So um, I'm going to confess that when I came up with the idea for this series, so Alicia and I are in a group that meets very regularly. And when I first came up with the idea for this series, I was kind of batting it around in the group and they were all really excited. And I was like, oh, terrified. Uh, <laughs> and really and truly are a big part of what kind of gave me the courage to start it in the first place. Um, so I know that <laughs> Joyful Stories by Black writers are important to you. And I'd love for you to share with our audience a bit about why that is and what, you know, like, what, what do you love about it? Well, I think I was thinking a lot about this. And honestly, since you brought it to our group, it's always been a concept that we were all, I remember that meeting, we were all like, yes, <laughs> like, you know, what a great idea. I think, especially in the last two years, um, since the pandemic began, I feel that there has been such a focus on, um, how would I put this? I feel that there's been a big focus on, on, on telling Black stories. 
And I feel like, of course, you know, here with the touch point with being um, George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter protests that followed in the summer after his death or the summer of his death, there was a lot of, of trauma and pain that came to the surface in the Black community. Um, and a lot of, um, you know, like a lot of, of inquiry into like what's going on. Like, why are people fighting for the things they're fighting for? Why are people, you know, why is this coming to the forefront now? And I think that there was so much, again, like so much trauma and pain that came to the surface. So many negatives, so much fighting, so much, so many politics, so many things that came to the surface. And while I think that that's all very needed and necessary to examine, Mm -hmm. I feel it's important to show that any traditional marginalized group is not just a representation of pain. I feel that there are like, we're people at the core of things. We are human beings and we have stories to tell. And it's not all about oppression and and pain and violence. It's Mm -hmm. about how we live. It's about how we love. It's about our joy. It's about our upbringings. Like there's so much, there's so much more to traditionally marginalized people than the suffering. Yeah. And I feel that when you know when you brought up the concept of what you wanted to do here with writing Black Joy, that it was so wonderful to hear that people want to tell the good stories. They want to tell the real stories. And that doesn't mean by any stretch of the imagination, ignoring the issues that we face or the the problems that still are very much existing in society, but it's showing another face. It's showing the whole of the people, not just a particular snapshot of something devastating in time. Mm -hmm. And so this is why I love the concept so much because it's like, yeah, we're, we're, we're human beings. We are people. We have similar experiences. We have different experiences and and to see people that want to do that is so like want to put those stories forward is so refreshing to me and so joyful honestly Mm -hmm. um and very encouraging very encouraging because I feel that I'm seeing more and more experiences now that my kids will get to see and understand that we weren't necessarily taught over that didn't come to the forefront when I was in school when I was their age so it's it's big it's really really big yeah so happy for people like you (laughs) oh I'm so happy I was so glad you guys were so encouraging and so like like I said it's I'm I'm sure it's sometimes I think about people that have ideas for things you know Mm -hmm. it could be a book idea it could be an idea for a podcast it could be anything and sometimes like whenever people come to me even friends they come to me recently I had a friend come to me and she wants to write um a book based on her background, I'm not even going to give it away because it's going to be so good when it comes out, but <laughs> she wants to write a book based on her own sort of experiences um, as someone not just from the Caribbean, but having grown up a bit, a bit in the UK and, you know, all different and traveled and, and that type of thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, after we got off the phone, she was like, I said to her, you know, I'm sorry, I'm so excited about this. And she's like, I'm sure you're more excited than me. And I was like, probably am because sometimes (laughs) I think that you have an idea and it's such a fragile thing and like you it can go both ways you can tell people about it and they can be like oh no or they can get really excited for you and to me 
you know, I'm so fortunate to have people around me that get excited uh, and that kind of push it into being as opposed to like make you feel like, oh, it's terrible because I I can't speak for anybody else. But quite often when I have an idea, I worry like, is this a terrible idea? Does anybody care about this? And it's nice to have people saying, yes, yes, let's do it. And so I would always say surround yourself with people who are going to champion your your ideas, big and small, because, you know, even even ideas that, that might have seemed ridiculous at first, some of, the, some of them turn into amazing things. And so like always surround yourself with people who are going to champion your ideas. So I'm so pleased you guys were there to like <laughs> spur me on. Uh, that was that was really great. I'm curious because I know you live in in Canada um, and I have quite a bit of family that lives there, some friends. And how do you find how do you find for your children in terms of like the books that they get to read and the sort of, I guess, media that they are exposed to? Do you do you feel like there needs to be more that maybe teaches them about their their heritage or their background or you know, the experience, I, I feel like I'm in Barbados, obviously, and we hear a lot about what happens in the US. Mm-hmm. I don't hear a lot about what happens in Canada. So I'm always curious, you know, between what my cousins tell me and that type of thing, like, mm-hmm. how are you finding it with, you know, with your boys, and what they want to read and watch and, and sort of that influence? So that's an interesting question, and also a very tough question, too. Um, because I, I grew up in a small town Mm. and, and so did my husband, my husband is, is white. So our kids are, our kids are biracial and there weren't many black people in the community. So growing up, I don't think I always, this is interesting. I don't think I always noticed the lack of you know, resources about Black people. I mean, as I got older, for sure, I became aware of it. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it was, this is what I, I know. What yeah. is around me is is what I know. And especially when you're a minority in the town, but the bigger minority, per se, um, is, ind- is Indigenous in Alberta. And Quite honestly, I always say that they bore the brunt, unfortunately, of a lot of discrimination and um, uh, marginalizations more. It's almost like you kind of you kind of float under the surface, right? Because yeah. you're not the biggest group to target in a way. Yeah, there are too few of you, basically. So basically, in a in a in a grand scheme of things, and so looking back on it now, of course, I absolutely see the lack of black stories and black history beyond slavery and the underground railroad in Canada. Mm-hmm. That was the majority of what I recall to be my experience of learning about blackness in Canada was the champions of the underground railroad in Canada. Yeah. When honestly and clearly there is so so much more to the story. Mm-hmm. So in terms of what my children have access to now I think it has improved, but it is clearly not there. Mm-hmm. Um, like right now, of course, in, in North America, it's Black History Month in February. And I know my two older boys that are in, in grade school, my youngest is, is still too young. He's in, he's in pre-kindergarten. So my two older boys, they are learning about contributions from Black people, like Black Canadians, 
to the society, which is fantastic because that's not yeah. something that we really learned about. And there is definitely access and resources. Like we've got a phenomenal, some phenomenal independent bookshops in Edmonton that do do a very good job of celebrating diverse voices, including Black voices. So there's a lot of a lot more resources I feel that are available for my my boys to access. And we as a family, we do a lot of talking about what it means to be black in our society, what it means to be white in our society, about their background, their heritage of where they come from, from both sides of their family. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm really proud that we're able to do that. And I think open their eyes to more that is out there, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. It, um, it makes perfect sense. And yeah, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's good that you have those conversations with the family. And I'm curious, mm-hmm. How how have you found having your those types of conversations with your husband? Because, you know, I have I have a, a, quite a few friends that are you know they're married to somebody who is you know from a different race or a background culture or whatever you know sort of difference in in terms of identities and sometimes the the other person doesn't really understand and sometimes the other person is my friend so they kind of would reach out to me and be like. I, I don't, you know, they're having this issue and I, I don't, I don't really understand it. Um, have you found it quite easy to have those conversations with your kids along with him? Have you, did you find it easy to have those conversations with him when you met him? I'm just curious, like I said, it's not, you know, it's just because oh. I'm a curious bird. <laughs> well, no, absolutely. No, and I don't mind that at all. So like my husband and I have been together for a very long time. We actually, we've, we've, we went to school together. Like I mentioned, we, we grew up in the same town. Um, and so we went to school all the way through from, you know, from when we were six wow. years old all the way. Oh, um, so and nice. Yeah. And we, and we got together when we were in high school, actually, we started dating. So I've been with him for most of my life. And so he knows a lot about me and my family and my background and the things obviously they're important to each other. And so I've always found him very easy to open up to very easy to talk about the hard subjects with including uh race because we had these conversations before we were married before we had our children um because obviously we know right like we Mm. never found it to be an issue that we come from two racial backgrounds but of course we know and we're not naive to know that people in society even in (laughs) even in the 21st century um, would have a problem with it. And so we've had a lot of conversations about that. And so as a family, it's been really good. And I found really, not that they're easy conversations, but easy yeah. to broach the subjects. There's never been a, you know, oh, I feel like I might be stepping on his toes if I say something that's this or and vice versa mm-hmm. for him. And so I think for our kids, that's a blessing for our children as well, because they're able to see both of our perspectives and how we are both trying to come together and still learn about each other's experiences too. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's important for them because as they grow up, they are reconciling themselves as every child is about who they are and what their place is in this world. And, you know, especially with so many issues of race again like I said that have been in the forefront during the pandemic especially when all of our eyeballs have been glued to like what's going on in the world and what's Mm. happening um I think it's important for them to see um because 
they have just like every child they come from two different backgrounds they have two different experiences obviously because you know your parents their families are not exactly the same regardless of what your racial background is Very but fair. i feel that yeah but i feel that for them being biracial there is some more reconciling that they have to do within themselves mm-hmm. um, to reconcile that whole identity to know that you know for some people it might not matter if they're biracial as soon as they see that you know part of them is black then you might not be good enough or if one of you you know if if people see them as more white say that well you're you well, you're 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 reaching beyond your limits because you have a black mother whatever the case might be mm-hmm. yeah and so i feel that um as a family we've had a lot of growth together we've had a lot of learning from each other and a lot of recognition that we're not going to get it right all the time that mm-hmm. we have a lot of what's the word that was said recently like a lot of unlearning <laughs> to do and not just when it comes to to issues of of being black but especially in, in Canada um, there's been a lot about truth and reconciliation with our indigenous populations yeah for um, sure. there's a lot of especially recently oh yeah 100 percent. and there has to be uh, there has to be an openness to learning and being able to 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 know better to learn our history and the full like breadth of our history too not just the not just the sexy stuff you see on TV or the stuff that's like more comfortable to talk about because we're stereotypically polite Canadians. Um, mm. There's a <laughs> lot of reckoning. As a, anybody know. following Canadian news know, there's a lot of reckoning that needs to happen in Canada too on many subjects um, yeah. that really need to be explored and discussed. So, yeah. Anyway, that might have been a that might have been a no. very long answer, Safia. It, sorry. Listen. <laughs> um. So I don't mind. Uh, and you know, if you're listening, I, I feel like listeners get a lot out of, of hearing those things because quite often you may not get exposed to what, you know, if you're in one country, you don't always get to hear what ha- was happening somewhere else. Um, I'm curious about those things. I'm sure there are a lot of other people as well. And again, you know, I, you know, because like I said, we be often and even recently when you, when you talked about, your family, I was thinking about it again, because you know, we were speaking recently and I was talking about my sort of conflict, even within how, you know, how this show, like on the one hand, I'm happy that I created it and it was exactly what I wanted, but there's a part of me that sometimes feels sad that this thing has to be on a pedestal, right? Like it feels kind of sad in a way that I don't even know if I should share this here. So if I <laughs> change my mind, I'll just edit it out. But if, you hear, if you're hearing this, then clearly I didn't change yeah. my mind. But after our last conversation, I, I actually wrote a blog post about it. And maybe I'll include the link in here if I feel so inclined. But it was kind of writing out what I believed because I felt like I wanted to kind of explore you know, why I was feeling so conflicted, as I said, between the fact that you have to have a focus in the spotlight on Black stories, it kind of, especially joyful Black stories, that like, it kind of makes me sad that that's the case. Like, they should just be out there. It should be so normal that people are like, what? You're talking about them? That's crazy. But it's not, right? And I, I will obviously read the whole thing. But one of the things I said was like, I feel 
like you said, I feel like Black stories are humanity stories. The same way you talked about the Indigenous population in Canada, like, and, you know, when people talk about Black History Month, I'm like, all of these are all belong to all of us. And until we kind of get to owning them together, you're going to have this other othering sort of uh, aspect, which I don't think is really conducive to moving forward, you know, with any sort of unity. So um, one of the things I wrote was like, I believe Black Jewish people celebrated and ordinary, like so ordinary that like somebody would say like, really? Why are you even starting this podcast? Like, that's how I feel. Um, and so it's, it was just, just hearing you talk about your family just made me think about that again and like coming together in a space where you want something to be both celebrated and ordinary and sort of like being able to hold hold both of those things because yes, they you want them to also be able to know about both of their family histories, but also not to feel like there's something different about you because you have this mixed background or whatever the case may be. So it's just a thought that came to my mind. So I really appreciate you sharing, uh, sharing what you did. Absolutely. No, and you too. And I, I love that conversation that we had because I think it's important for people to know that, you know, we don't have things all figured out either. It's not a, you know, one size fits all. This is the path one must take. And this is how you must feel because you come from a certain place or background that type of thing like again people are people and I love how you said like you know black stories are human stories indigenous stories are human stories you know um there's there's all kinds of things I feel that um like you know like I I was reading in a book I I haven't recently I can't remember which one but echoed exactly what you said like black history is Canadian history you know like this this is it's history like it seems yes. so so it's history it's human mm. history it's global history you know so it's a yeah and it, Gosh, we don't pose sorry go, go ahead, ahead. No, saying, we don't we don't pose we don't pose easy questions do we here i certainly <laughs> i never do i never do i'll ask a couple of easier ones later but not no i i'm not i've never been the person to ask the easy question i think this is why people scream my calls I see you. I know who you are. <laughs> Don't call any names, but <laughs> that's okay. I love you. I just wanted to let you know how you can support us over here at Writing Black Joy. Firstly, you can join our Patreon community over at patreon.com slash Sophia Robinson, and you'll find the link for that in the show notes. When you sign up over at Patreon to support us, you will get the opportunity to join our monthly group coaching calls workshops that we'll be holding exclusively for patreon supporters so come on over and join the party it's so much fun over there other ways you can support us hit subscribe here on your podcast or over on the youtube channel you can also leave a podcast review like our youtube episodes and share us with your friends you can head over to our website and sign up for our mailing list www.writingblackjoy.com also Follow Writing Black Joy over on Instagram at Writing Black Joy. All of these will be in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening and for supporting our show. Now, let's go to our guests. So we're going to dive a little bit into the sort of writing, editing side of things after we went deep into, you know, our own stories. Um, you, 
the thing I love about you is that you are a writer and an editor. So I feel like you're the perfect person to answer this question because I know there's some writers who worry about the editing process and sort of being removed from it, having their voice taken away, having their, you know, their turn of phrase or even their sort of personality taken out of it. Like I'm editing something for someone at the moment and I, I was reading something that somebody was talking about these, these um, AI like Grammarly and different things that go through and mm-hmm. the suggestions that they make. And quite often it removes that almost conversational element from, from what you're writing. And yeah. I think people worry like that's what the editing process is going to be like. They're going to end up with this book that's very sterile and very dry and doesn't have their voice and their personality yeah. in it. Um, and I, you know, I'd love to know a bit more about your thoughts about that. Obviously that's not the point of editing, but what would you say to a client who had that concern? I, and that's a, that's a great question. Um, I always come at the editing process as being collaborative. Mm. Like I, I truly do believe that when a client comes to me, it's for me to help them best tell their story not the other way around, not for me to turn their story into my own, you know, my own view of the world per se. Um, I think that it is important uh, to get to know your clients ahead of time. Mm -hmm. I think it is important to get to know what their needs are, what their goals are, um, what they want to accomplish. And it's, I think, an editor's job to honor that is the way I see it, we're here to enhance their voice and to tell their story and to put their story in the best possible light that we can. And um, I do believe that uh, we need to, as editors, you know, check their egos at the door and take a step back from that and really, really put the author forward. I, I really do think that you know, as editors, we don't hold the keys to the language kingdom. You know, we're not supposed to be gatekeepers of language. I think that our job is to evolve with language and evolve with communication. And hopefully in expressing that to our clients, put them more at ease. Because as you said, like as a writer, it is scary to put Mm. yourself out there. Um, You know, even if it's, you know, not a deeply personal work it is still deeply personal because it still came from you it came from your head I've written articles for magazines before where you know when you see the finished product and you think oh that line was so good and it's not there what were they doing and then it Mm. says no you know you got to understand too that you know when you're especially if you're if you're writing for a particular publication or such obviously they have their own overall editorial voice that they want to use and I think as a writer as well it's important to be mindful of that but when you are writing independently though like say you're writing a novel or or some poetry or things like that this is where I feel that you know it flips where the editors also need to be aware that you know you're being you're being trusted with something deeply deeply personal and it is an immense privilege, I think, to be in a position where you are trusted enough with somebody else's voice. That yeah. is that is huge. Um, and so my goal is always not to violate that trust, 
and to make sure that uh, that you know my clients feel as comfortable as possible every step of the way. Yeah. Regardless of what it is that they're written. Yeah, and I think that's such a good point you raised about if you're writing for a particular publication, because the reality of it is, you've got to remember that like it's one thing to be writing a book or even your own personal blog or even something for your business. Um, and we're going to get to that in a minute because I, I want to ask you a, a, a question about that too. But even if you're writing something personal, you know, like I said, for your blog or something for your business or, you know, it's your own project, then yes, your voice is going to come through. And the editor, as you said, the, ed- the editor's role is really to collaborate with you on that. But then if you're writing for a publication and they have a particular tone that they're trying to sort of maintain throughout their, their pieces, um, there was a, there's a group of writers that I'm in and we do a critique a session once a month. And one of the ladies mm-hmm. brought a piece the other day and she was submitting it to a magazine that one of the other, uh, the lady who actually led the group had written for before and had worked with before. And she was like, this is, you know, she was helpful in that. She was helpful to sort of say to her, well, I can see this feedback because this is the type of magazine it is and this is their sort of audience. And you remember that when you're writing for your own book or your own whatever, like you are deciding who the audience is and what the messages you're trying to convey. If you're writing for a publication, they have a hand in that too. And so that is, again, is more of a collaborative process because you have to try to also be able to, they have to be happy that it's going to suit their readership, right? And so they're going to have maybe more heavy handed there as an editor as than one might be with your novel or with your whatever, or at least I I imagine that in theory because I've never edited for a magazine nor have I written for one so that's why I love your input on that but I that's the impression that I get and I think it's a really valid point to raise for anybody who does want to do any freelance writing and and sort of write for other publications that you have to take that into consideration Mm -hmm. which does actually bring me around to the next question I was going to ask you because I know you also write for different types of businesses you said the dental clinic um, and also the uh, the the educational company. Do you do you have your own voice there, or do you have to sort of write in a particular style to suit their sort of business values? I guess, or for lack of a better word, I can't think of another word. But do you you get what I mean? Like, how do you find it is writing for other people's businesses? I think it's. I always find it um, a good challenge because when I have my writing hat on, I try to, you know, take some time to get to know kind of what the overall, if you will, like corporate voice, that sounds so boring, but the corporate voice really okay. is. Um, and I, I find it a challenge to be a bit of a chameleon in that way in, you know, kind of knowing or getting a sense of kind of like, what have they done before? What is their overall value? How do they present themselves in the community? and try to match my writing closely with that. So I would say that I have had, like with the, um, with the educational company, I've had, I have a really, uh, and full disclosure, that particular company um, was my very first client under Fresh Look Editing, and it's owned by a, a very good friend of mine. And so it was a good collaborating with her because we have similar similar outlooks on how we like to present things, and we have a very good mm-hmm. collaborative relationship to begin with. So I would say that oftentimes any of the writing I've done or any of the 
you know, the tweaking of her writing has been pretty, I don't want to say symbiotic, like it, we're often on the same kind of page. So in that way, I find that she really values my input and my own voice too. So um, I think it kind of comes, they come together well. Yeah, um, sounds like it. Yeah, in the case of the um, the dental blog, excuse me, it's interesting because um, obviously the owner has the final say mm-hmm. and it goes through a marketing company. So um, the marketing company is kind of like my direct client that then turns it over to them. And um, I definitely, I think my approach has been good. There's obviously definitely been tweaks to articles that sometimes I'm learning have to be a little bit more technically minded than maybe I had been initially, but I've worked with them long enough now that I think we've kind of found the stride kind of mm-hmm. with that as well. Um, and so I'm not necessarily always writing something the way if I was putting it up on my own post, I would do yeah. it, but I think I've learned how to, again, kind of translate my voice into what it is that the client needs. So mm-hmm. that's that's why I like the corporate writing because, like I say, I think it's a it's a challenge. I like I, I like can that imagine kind of it's a challenge. I can mm-hmm. imagine. I I don't know if I could do it actually. I feel like when I like I think for me, writing has always been an outlet for me, and 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 I've always felt that I I express myself so much more clearly in writing than when I speak. Mm-hmm. Right, and okay. so like for me. Writing almost sometimes feels more like my voice than my actual voice. And I can't imagine <laughs> putting that to one side. Like editing is one thing because I feel like, like you, you know, I like to get to know clients before I do anything for them. And I, I can kind of work with their words and kind of just really emphasize the points that they're trying to emphasize. But to actually write, uh, I, I just... I feel like I'd, everything would sound like my blog. <laughs> I would love it, but they might not like that so much. So um, it's it's something that I really admire. I really admire people like yourself or, you know, I, I have a couple of people I know who are ghostwriters. There's a mm. I met recently who's a ghostwriter. I was just totally fascinated. I was like, what? You write whole books for people? And she said she doesn't really write for herself right and so she she actually finds it easy as a ghostwriter to write for other people and the thing I love about that is it kind of makes you realize like there is a even if you don't feel like you're a creative writer who's gonna like pen some amazing poem or whatever like there could still be a place for your skill Mm -hmm. as a writer somewhere in the world as well so that that I really love because it makes me feel like you know, everybody's not going to be a ghostwriter. Everybody's not going to be a copywriter. Everybody's yeah. not going to be a novelist. Everybody's not going to be a poet. But like, if you feel that you have some skill in that area, there may be a space for you to do something like that too. So I just love that so much. I, you know, I I totally hear you and I agree with your point on ghostwriting because I truly, oh my gosh, when I, it was, I remember when I found out that some of my favorite series that I used to read as a kid growing up was all ghostwritten, like the name <laughs> on the book was all, honestly, I was shocked because it's like, there is no way this is not a real person, like, or like That's the person so, on the, the book same person. Not the, right, well, yes, yes, they're all real people, but <laughs> exactly, <laughs> like that it's not the same person writing all of these, that to me just blew my mind. 
it's mm. that's a skill wow it is a real <laughs> skill I all I, when I think about that I there there are two sort of series I think about um one is James Bond as in the books because obviously they would come from books and the other is um the girl with the dragon tattoo and I've I've read a I read all of the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo books. The original three were written by Stieg Larsson. He passed away. And then they had someone else write, like, a, 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 I guess it's a follow-up or, you know, it was, it was a book in the series, but he wasn't the person mm. writing it. Um, and I think that person really, I, I, I don't feel like they necessarily were 100% able to do it, but they really stuck closely to his style. Yeah. Right? That's- James Bond books, because they've been written by so many different writers over the years. Um, sometimes I feel like you're purposely changing the style, if that makes sense. Like it's almost like a difference mm-hmm. between watching, you know, Sean Connery and, and um, Daniel Craig. Like, yeah. yeah, like you're, it's almost like you've purposely, you're, you've brought this thing into the 21st century and you want mm-hmm. it to feel different. You want it to be different, even though, it's pretty much the same character. And so you're allowed to bring a bit more of your artistic license in there. Um, it, it just fascinates me because like you, when I found out that some of the books that I read, you know, pe- different people had written them, I was just like, is this real? <laughs> what sorcery is this? Right, and, uh, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's, um, it's, it's just interesting. Like I said, it just makes me realize, like, like I said, you know, all you fanfic writers out there, like, you know, there's, no shame in that game just do do what works for you and there's a place for everyone's writing um so i absolutely love that so tell me if you have a quote that you would like to share i I always ask everyone to sort of share a quote that's really inspiring them uh if you have one that you'd like to share i do and i (laughs) this will really get to the heart of like you know with me I'm a very like what you see is what you get <laughs> so I when I when I so when uh when we were preparing for this when you when you'd um when I saw that was one of your questions I um I actually the first thing that came to mind was a quote from actually from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air Yay! which I adore um and so anyone who hasn't seen it yet get on not too late it's not too late (laughs) even though it's not too late even though will smith kids are that age it's still not too late never too late right my my oldest son has gotten into watching it now so i mean it's fun for the whole family generations um but one of the quotes that came to me that i absolutely do love and has become very personal for me was from it was an episode where will and carlton were um, looking to pledge to a fraternity and Will got in, Carlton didn't and the student that was making the decisions thought that Carlton wasn't black enough. He didn't fit the mold of this particular uh, even this episode. I remember! This episode and so Alfonso Ribeiro who played Carlton, I remember when he was questioning why he didn't get in and he said um being black isn't what I'm trying to be it's what I am Mm. and I know for some people it might be like ah that's cheesy that's like you know it's like 
some people will probably have like a Maya Angelou quote or a Toni Morrison or like something that's like no listen you need to go back and listen to <laughs> well but actually I lie because this is like maybe the 20th interview that I've done and I've only released about six so I don't you know but you'll be surprised people quote all kinds of people so it's, there's no right. there's no judgment if you're gonna no quote. no absolutely Fresh Prince, right? And I mean, the reason why I love that so much is because, as we've as we've talked about throughout our our chat here, um, I really feel that being authentic and being real is so important and adds so much richness to our lives. Because for me, I feel that, and I'm, I'm you feel this too. There's a perception because of how we look or where we were raised or how we were brought up that we would fit a certain mold that mm-hmm. you know you're the person to tap for EDI issues you're the person to tap if we want to ask a question about I don't know the slave trade you're the person you want to ask if we want to talk about rap music whatever foolish stereotype <laughs> there is out there yeah I, right? no, by the way Ask me about rap music and see what yes. I can tell you. Anybody right. who watches this, if you want, you want to know how to respond to that, you ask me. You're going to get a lovely surprise. <laughs> you get it, right? Exactly. And I think that for me, that is so key because like, this is me. This is who I am. I'm not trying to fit a mold. I'm not trying to pretend I know everything about black history I know everything about you know again like I say whatever foolish stereotypes of the day that people want to throw at us or people you know that think they fit a particular mold um it's just who I am I am just you know I have different experiences than you do um even though we both have Bajan roots I don't have the same experiences as you do I don't have the same experience as um black people in the US I am not you know as some people would say oh you like you have like African Canadian roots that drives me crazy because that's not how I identify mm-hmm. um you know like because when I was just... in the UK and everybody was like you know they would they, they have these different terminologies I'm like yeah I'm not any of those things but thanks appreciate that yeah right you know I exactly and I feel that you know the more authentic and true everyone is to themselves um I feel the better off we all would be because we're not trying to be any preconceived notion we just are yeah and learning about our stories I think is um is so important and that's what's that's so important to me so Mm -hmm. yes and when you said when you said that you know what it reminded me of everybody's gonna you're gonna get this to know a bit, bit about my taste now I like 30 Rock, right? I like to watch uh, 30 And there's this yeah. episode where there's a there's Tracy Jordan on there who's this like um he's they brought him in to be this star and he's basically supposed to be Hollywood eccentric, right? Like he's and there's another guy on the team who's a writer and he's this black guy from Harvard, right? And he's like well, he's a nerd. He like sings a cappello in this, you know, he's like and I remember one day they were, they were kind he was like saying, I don't have anything in common with this guy. And I feel like you're bringing, this, bringing our people down. And they were having this long conversation about it. And, you know, Tracy Jordan made a very similar point. He was just like, you're you, I'm me. And there's more, there, there are many ways to be, you know, a black person there, you know, like I always think about that because 
like, you know, I'm a nerd and I'm, yeah, I've always been a nerd, right? I've always, you know, I've lived in different places. I have different sort of influences and that doesn't make me any more or less of the thing than somebody who does know about rap music. Sorry, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Do you, Kathleen, who's another one of our editors, she quoted most deaf. If you want to know about rap music, she may be the person to call. So just go back to Kathleen's episode, take a watch, <laughs> drop her an email. She will help you with the rap music, but I, I can't help you there. But I might be able to tell you a bit about a Marvel movie, right? So it's just like you gotta <laughs> you gotta know, right? But it doesn't, I feel like it just doesn't make you any, you know, there's still that's kind of why I like to say. I like the, the sort of ideas of the stories because when you get to know people's stories and you get to kind of know who that person is and not who what box you want to fit them into because most yes. people don't fit into a box. I don't think anyone fits into a box no matter what they look like or how they identify. So I, I, I absolutely love that, that quote completely. So I'm going to have to skip all the questions I had for you because we've been chatting for so long. I mean, obviously you're going to have to come back because everybody has to come back. But one thing I want to chat a little bit about is because I know you also have a background in diversity and equity and a bit about inclusive language. I know it's changed over the years so much. Sometimes I look back at books that I would have read when I was a child that were written like, you know, back in the 40s, 50s, whatever. And like, you could not say things like that now. Um, And... But also, I don't believe in erasure, right? I feel like it's good to know that things have changed. And sometimes the only way to know that is to be able to compare and contrast. And sometimes you'll get, you know, like I always remember a couple of years ago, there were a couple of films that were, they've been like taken out of distribution or whatever. Like you can't see them anymore because they're considered too whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. biased or whatever the case may be. I always have mixed feelings about that because... I feel like I feel like it's it's important to show these things and have have the conversation. You don't want to yeah. show them without that conversation because that that's a whole different that's you know that's that you'll have a different outcome then. Excuse me. But I feel like having the films and being able to have the conversation about how things have changed mm-hmm. it does a lot for our understanding of where we've come from and and you know how 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 it came to be that this thing is no longer acceptable. How, how do you work with clients um, who may have questions about appropriate language or they may wanna use language and you're like, mm, not sure if this is the right thing, right thing, you know, appropriate mm-hmm. in this context or whatever the case may be, how do you yeah. sort of handle that? I'm fortunate that so far um, in this stage of my career, I haven't um, come across a lot of that. I've been very fortunate. But having said that, um, obviously there are times when there is backlash over using or not using <laughs> certain certain language. And it, quite frankly, it might depend on any given day what the, as you said before, the right thing is to do. Mm-hmm. Um, because you can ask people within a community and one person gives you one answer and somebody else gives you something else, right? So what to do? I think that one of the best things we can do as editors and writers 
is do our best to stay current and keep our fingers on the pulse of what is going on. So if that means being able to point to a blog post to your client to at least back you up on why you've made the judgment call you might have given, as you say, the particular context, I think it's helpful to have that. Um, I feel that when you're having these conversations with clients, just kind of going off of a gut feel, especially if they're digging mm. their heels in, isn't enough, especially now when there's so much conflicting information. It's like, well, that's your opinion. So this is my opinion. So why should I change it to what you're saying? I think being able to point to resources that are out there um, is very key. Um, anything to do with um, inclusive language, um, any inclusive language um, workshops or, sem or not seminars, sorry, um, blog posts, discussions on social media. I think that those are very important to be able to point to because you can kind of see then how language is living currently. Yes. Yeah. And um, I love that you yeah. said that because language really is alive. I think that's, that is the key, right? Like it, it, that's why it's changing all the time. It's not static, mm -hmm. right? No, no. And I think we've moved a long way from the understanding of, you know, like what probably the majority of us now were taught when we were in school. Like it's the, I always, <laughs> I always chuckle because my dad always used to talk about the Queen's English. The Queen's English. Yes. You know, the, the Queen's, Queen's English. English. Yeah. We the still Queen's talk about English. the Queen's English with Okay. Even oh, though. We are now a republic. <laughs> We're still talking about the Queen's English, all right? The Queen's English, right? Queen's and English. never shall one stray from the Queen's English, right? Listen, I spent a <laughs> long time in the UK, and let me tell you, they ain't even talking the Queen's English. So don't, <laughs> don't bring that to me. Don't bring that. No, to me. no. But that's the that's a lot of what was so ingrained in us, you know, growing up, and still is, and is still out there. Yeah. And so I think that you know, like as you say, like you know, language is constantly evolving. And I think that, you know, one thing, as, as you know, when you talk about editors being peevish or, you know, pedantic. pedantic or that type of pedantic, you know, it's, it's hard habits to break. Like I'll admit for myself, there's sometimes that I have to do a reality check myself because I'll see the way somebody's written something. And it's like, that's not proper English. But when you think about it, it's like, what is proper English yeah just take a minute like what is take proper minute, English yeah. right take a step back and think about the different you know like why people write the way they do where are they coming from like what is what is their background maybe English is not their first language and you know poor god help anybody learning English as a second language huge props because English is not an easy language props to you yeah huge props right and so I feel that as editors being able to, again, check our own egos, expand our level of understanding and stay informed and educated is really key in how we can help our clients and help persuade them to bringing their language evolution around too. Mm. So, yeah, yeah it's really a, important. Mm -hmm. That's really important. And yeah, no, I definitely think that that's important. And I recently had a guest um, on here, Dahlia Kin Kinsey, and I'm hoping that our interview is going to be, I'm pretty sure our interview would have come out already by the time this one comes out. Dahlia and I talked about this term person of color, and I was, I was saying that like, 
you know, we need to explain that because that's not a term we use here in Barbados. And the first time I heard it, I was like, because I, I'm thinking about people talking about people being colored and like, I'm like, we, are we still saying that? Is this, is this, is this a real thing? Like I was so baffled when I first heard, it. I don't know what, um, what people say in Canada, what terminology they use in Canada, but I, I know for sure it's not, it wasn't something that they would say in the UK. It's not something that we really say in the Caribbean. So I had a lot of friends who even on hearing the term were like, you got me. Don't know what that means. And I had to ask like my best friend to explain it to me. When she did, I was just like, that makes no sense. But anyway, moving, you know, moving on with that. And it was even, you know, Dahlia saying, everybody doesn't like that term, right? It's a term that they use when they're writing their book, but I, I might not identify with that. You might not identify with that. And so that's, to me, that's also a part of looking at the language of that may be a term that the writer identifies with and that their reader may identify with. And you might not identify with it as an editor, but you have to leave that to one side and think about who is this person? Who are they writing for? Who, you know, how do they identify? How do they want to be identified? And kind of leaving yourself out of that process. Yeah, that's so key. Like you just nailed it right there, but who are they writing for? And and always, I know one of the biggest pieces of advice I got when it came to um, diverse and inclusive language is if you're in doubt, like you always ask the person. So like, for example, if I was interviewing somebody for a story and, mm-hmm. you know, let's say they were disabled because it's the, you know, person first language or disability first language, you need to go with what that person identifies with. Like, that's what you have to do. You can't impose your will because that's not the, the the language du jour. You have to go with what that person identifies with because that is their identity. And like you said, you have to put sometimes the proper, oh, I'm using so many air quotes at the end of this. <laughs> I know, right? Anybody watching this video is going to be like, why are their fingers always in the air? air yeah, quotes. right. Air quotes. <laughs> um, yeah. But you have to you have to go with that and how that person identifies themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that I always remember a couple of years ago seeing this conversation on social media play out where somebody said they were trying to they were trying to they're writing something and they were trying to they they wanted to know how can like do I say a black person do I say like how do I say it and some other person jumped in and was like no you must say person of color and I just said look maybe you should ask people in your community how they want to be identified because you can't make an assumption that everybody's going to want to go with that and people were like I I, I think people don't don't respond to me because (laughs) they're kind of afraid but I'm just like you can't you can't make an assumption you have to think like who are you actually writing for Yes. What do you identify with and what do what, what about your readers? And that's more important than the, the sort of name of the day or the term of the day, because I'm sure, you know, if YouTube's still around in 100 years and somebody's watching this, they're going to be like, person of color? What are they talking about? Exactly, <laughs> right? What is this? fine, right? That's yeah. perfect. That's exactly what will happen as language goes on. So mm-hmm. um, I want to know, what do you enjoy reading or listening to? We're going to skip right to the end. Uh, I'm happy yeah. with our time. So tell me, what do you enjoy reading or listening to? Oh, my gosh. I, I'm i kind of all over the map when it comes to reading. Like, I like fiction. I like nonfiction. 
Um, right now I'm actually reading um, a book called Beauty in the Box, Beauty in a Box mm. um, by um, Cheryl Thompson, um, Canadian writer. And it's about the, um, the beauty, the black beauty culture in Canada specifically, wow. which when I heard about that at um, the Fold uh, Festival in Canada last year, I was so excited about it because it was like, oh, there was a book written for me that's talking about, you know, Black Beauty and things like that. So, I mean, I, I love reading books like that. I find that really engaging. I would read that. Um, yeah, but at the um, but at the same time, the book I have on hold at the library right now, it's an audio book by Dave Grohl, the lead singer of the Foo Fighters, called The Storyteller. And love so... It. I'm so looking forward to to listening to listening to that because he's an engaging storyteller. Yeah, <laughs> and I like the Foo Fighters. Yeah, yes, I, like I the love Foo them. Too, so, so, yeah, that's one of the things I listen to. I love um, this. You're asking about music, right? Yeah, I love I love the Foo Fighters. I love Adele. I do like <laughs> Backstreet Boys were my big thing when I was a kid. So. <laughs> Why not? Still get like them now. Right now, still like them now. Um, I listen to almost anything. Mm. Honestly, almost anything. I'm not a rap expert, but I do like some rap. I enjoyed the Super it's Bowl bad. last weekend. What can I say? The halftime show with <laughs> Dr. <laughs> Dr. <laughs> it's another episode. <laughs> but I, I oh, but um, yeah, no, I, I listen to gosh, I listen to a ton of things. There's not much I don't like. Big into the Encanto soundtrack right now. <laughs> Listen, I everybody around me is talking about Encanto. They're talking about the film. They're talking about the soundtrack. I might just have to give in and watch it. I thought it was going to be another Frozen, and I was traumatized by Frozen, so I just wouldn't watch it. But I might just give in and watch it. In my humble opinion, far better than Frozen. Like, it doesn't even in the same... Yes, I will say that right in public in public podcast world, it is better than Frozen. Wow, <laughs> you're taking a big risk, and I applaud you for it. <laughs> I, I, I stand by what mind. I said. Yeah, I said what I said. <laughs> oh my goodness, Alicia, I am so glad you joined me. This is like so much fun. Uh, conversation went all over the world and came right back again and I'm so happy that you were able to join me. I can't wait, can't wait to have you back. I'm, I'm just gonna have a like I'm like sometime in 2023, I'm just going to just bring everybody back. <laughs> I'm just going to be having more conversations because it's just been such a great time. I really enjoyed it. Oh, this has been a pleasure. Thank you, Sophia. It's been awesome. Okay. Appreciate it. No problem. And tell our audience where we can find you. I always find you on Twitter. I like to stalk you over there, but like yes. do you have any other social media presences or website? Yes, I'll have everything in the, in the show notes, but you know. Sure. Um, my website is freshlookediting.ca. You can find me there. Um, as you said, I'm on Twitter at freshlookedit. I'm also on LinkedIn under Alicia Chantel. Hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I do have a Facebook, but I'm not very active. So yeah, that's not the best place to find me. So those three places, those are the best place. Yes. She, she tweets. We have our little stat walk photos. You can, you can follow yes. That's fun. And, yeah. Uh, yeah so- Come on over and play with us on Twitter. It's good fun. Sounds good. All right, folks. Thanks for joining us. Uh, see you soon. Happy reading. Bye. Right, take care. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. You can find out more about our guests in the notes below. And don't forget to hit subscribe to subscribe to our channel so that you don't miss new episodes when they drop. And if this has inspired you to get your own writing project into the world, 
click on my website below and learn how you can work with me as a writing coach or an editor. Until next time, I send you big love from a small island.